Good evening, good evening, and welcome to a special edition of Change Matters. I'm your host, Amy Hendrickson, with my regular co-host and partner in crime, Colette Williams. We have a distinguished panel of experts and activists who are going to be taking part in a discussion of Black excellence in media, Black Women Speak. It promises to be a lively, exciting, and enlightening dialogue, and we're excited to bring it to you. Being in the media is about controlling the long we have not been I was able to ask the hard questions and spark the conversation that needs to be done. How do we begin to control our narrative? How do we get a future for the pie? How do we collaborate to make sure we all stay tuned? Let's find out together. And by the way, we hope you'll do more than just listen. With that being said, welcome again. Now turn this over. And good afternoon. Good afternoon, folks. I am your host, Colette Williams, and it is a pleasure to have all of you here, all of you who are listening out there in Wonderland, and all of you who are here with us on the panel, and those that we can see who are not necessarily panelists, but those that we can see. And I do hear a dog. He said he's glad to be here, too. Thank you very much. So thank you folks for joining us. This is going to be a great, great conversation. This is about Black excellence in media, because you know, everything that we do, we do it with excellence. Thank you very okay, much. Hang, hang, whoever's got the dog, can we mute yourself for a second until we get started, please? Who's ever got the dog? Thank you. Thank Go you very much. I, I, if I could put a muzzle on him. Anyway. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, some things it's hard to control. Dogs and kids. Anyway, thank you very much. This is Black Excellence in Media, Black Women Speak. And we decided to do something such as this because we are in the media space and we do a lot to bring uh, visibility to all of the things that go on in the media space with regard to how we are received in the media space. And without saying that we're not, I think all of you know, those of you who are in the media space, whether it is in radio, television, film, print journalism, print media, magazines, books, publishing, it's all media. We have a message and there is every reason why we should get our message out and why we need to be heard. It's time for us to change the narrative. It's time for us to change the narrative. And I don't like the idea that we're asking for a seat at the table. We shouldn't be asking for a seat at the table. We should create our own seat. We should create our own table. We should create our own space. And that's what we're going to talk about this evening. We have a very, very distinguished panel of panelists. And we're going to make sure that we get to the bottom of this. We're going to come up with solutions. We're going to talk about collaboration and how we can work collectively. I'd like to thank and welcome to the platform, Dr. Francesca Fajinmi, who is also going to be a moderator with us this afternoon. And she also has a very, very compelling story. She is from Nigeria. She is going to also ask questions. And we wanted Dr. Fajinmi with us this afternoon because she can get us into those spaces in Africa. She can talk to us about what should be, what could be, what can be, what will be in the media space and how we can do that. So without further ado, we're going to get us prayed up 
so that we can get this party started and we can have a great conversation. And I want to let you know, an hour goes by extremely fast. This is a two-hour program, and the time is going to go by incredibly fast. So hold on to your seats. Let's get started, and let's go to Dr. Bishop Andre Willis. Are you with us? I'm with you. All right, you got to. Yes, we can hear you. It's a little choppy back there, but we do hear you. All right, all right. Our Father, our God, we thank you for this opportunity one more time to call upon your name. We thank you, God, for your mercies, for they are brand new every day. And we thank you, God, for this radio broadcast and the moderator, the host. We ask, God, that you will open up every heart to to receive that which is being given, the truth, the, the and nothing but the truth. So help us, God. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your glory. We thank you, God, for this opportunity one more time to go across the airwaves and to speak life and to speak truth into all your people. We pray, oh God, for this 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 uh, new day, uh, that day that we've never seen before. We pray, oh God, that in this day, this hour, if this is our last, that we will be so empowered that, oh God, we will be able to go out and tell somebody not only about this radio broadcast, but about a soon coming Savior. We know, God, that we can look into the hills of what's coming our help. We know that you said you'll supply all of our needs according to your riches and glory. We know you said, ask and it shall be given. So, Father God, those things that your people are in need of right now, in the name of Jesus, we pray that you will bring restoration and restitution and bring uh, unity and harmony as a result of this broadcast. Uh, reaching the lives and souls of people everywhere. In the precious name of Jesus, we ask it all. Amen. Amen and amen. Thank you very much for that, Bishop. Thank you very much. So let's get going right here. I'd like to introduce my my uh, assistants, those who are with me as moderators. You've met Kenny Hendricks, and now I'd like to, as Kenny says, uh, partners in crime. Let's get ready to introduce Dr. Francesca Fajinmi. Dr. Fajinmi, how are you? I am doing great. Thank you so much. Thank you, Bishop. That was uh, a timely prayer. We received that. And I just want to thank you, uh, Colette, for the opportunity to join you on this wonderful and timely, timely event and celebration of Black women. Let's just put it that way. It's uh, it's, uh, it's the month for Black women. I want to claim that. Even though it's all women, I'm claiming it for Black women. Hopefully you don't mind. And I am so excited to be here to hear from you. I want to learn from you. You have these distinguished panelists, and uh, it's exciting to have them, both male and female. So let's get it going. Thank you, Colette. Great. Thank you so much. And I might add, aren't you absolutely gorgeous? Oh, you look absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. So thank you for being with us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's wonderful. From Your Black Matters. Thank you. So you all know Kenny Hendricks and you know me and now you know Dr. Fajinmi. We're going to get going because we're going to run out of time as we always do. I'd like to introduce my first panelist and we're going to go across the board here. I'd like to introduce them give them an opportunity to tell us who they are, what they're doing, how they fit into the media space, 
and how they feel about being here because we're going to we're going to have a lot of conversation going here. So my first guest and it gives me a great deal of pleasure to introduce her. You all know this lady. She has been around in media and television and film and red carpet and publication and I just can't say enough. She and I connected at church at West Angeles Church in Los Angeles and we've been connected ever since. And when I saw her the other day, I said, oh, my God, Tanya, please. And without fail, she said, "Okay, I cannot tell you enough about Miss Tanya Hart. You know her from television. She's been around for a very long time. (laughs) I'm 70 and I know how long she's been around. Okay." Well, see, the key is that, thank you, first of all, Colette, it's so good to see you. You too. And, and also, Kenny, thank you, and uh Dr. Francesca, who, by the way, you're right. I want that that hair, that wrap. Yes, yes. You got to send that to me. Uh, yeah, I've only, well, I've only been around for about a hundred years. I don't know what you're talking about. See? <laughs> uh, but I'm only 39.99. That's so, right. You know, That's I don't, right. I don't know who's doing the math. I'm not. But thank you for that. And yes, it's so good to see you for everyone out there. Uh, Colette and I, we've been sitting together sort of in the same area at church for years and years. Yes. And I saw her on Saturday and I'm like, why do I know that lady? I know that lady. And because we hadn't seen each other since COVID. Oh my gosh. Yes. And yeah. so God bless you and thank you for still being here. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And equally as illustrious, I'd like to also introduce Miss Cheryl Thompson Morton, who is also from CUNY. She has a gigantic background. What is that doggone dog again? (laughs) Gigantic background in uh, the media space. She's also a journalist. Cheryl Thompson Morton, please tell us about yourself and where you fit in in media. I met you at the, uh, what is it called? The Black Media Link, Black Media Link Initiative. And she's the sweetest person on the planet. Cheryl, <laughs> tell us about yourself. Oh, thank you, Colette, for having us um, and for putting this really amazing panel together. I'm appreciative to be a part. So, uh, yeah, as Colette said, I'm Cheryl Thompson-Morton. I lead a project called the Black Media Initiative. It's a part of the Center for Community Media, which is a part of the Graduate Journalism School um, at the City University of New York. Um, and we support Black media organizations throughout the country, Black-owned specifically, um, as well as Black-founded nonprofits. Um, but we focus on providing support, providing research, and added visibility to the sector to make sure that, you know, the the um, mission of the Black press, which uh, just celebrated its 196th birthday, um, what, last week, two weeks ago at this point, um, to make sure that we're around for the next 200 years. So that's our aim and our goal. And I'm very excited for this conversation today. Great. Thank you so very, very much. Greatly appreciated. And it's a pleasure to have you. I'd also like to introduce Tanu Henry, who is supposed to be, that spot was uh, reserved for, but that's okay because I understand Tanu Henry is the expert In journalism, he is the managing editor for the California Black Media, and he's here. Tanu, please tell us about yourself, and thank you very much for joining us, and thank you for standing in for Regina Brown Wilson. 
Well, hello, everyone. Um, happy Women's History Month to all the women on the panel. Um, I'm here representing Regina Brown Wilson. She is the executive director of California Black Media. I'm the managing editor. We are a news and advocacy organization representing and affiliated with more than 30 uh, media outlets throughout the state of California, up and down the state. Um, we do cover news and policy, policy and politics in Sacramento, and we distribute those articles out to our affiliates, which are all Black-owned newspapers, legacy newspapers across California and different cities. Um, we have a reach of over 30, uh, we have a reach of over, through our network of 30 outlets, we have a reach of over 2 billion um uh, Californians and people around the country. Um, um, yeah, that's about it. That's the short of California Black Media. So it, it's, a, it's a real honor and pleasure to be here with all of you and very excited about this discussion. Thank you very much, Tanu. And it is a pleasure to have you here with us. And thank you so much for being here in place of Cheryl Brown Wilson, president of the California Black Media. And she said, you're the perfect person. So I got Regina Brown Wilson. Cheryl Brown is her mom. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sorry, Regina. Okay. I had Cheryl on my mind. Cheryl, thank you for being on my mind. So let's go. <laughs> let's go on over to Mr. Jacob R. Miles. He is another one. Illustrious, illustrious. Thank you, Mr. Jacob R. Miles. Tell us about yourself. Well, I'm very excited to be here and, uh, 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 again, happy uh, Women's uh, Month, and I am excited to be a part of uh, the discussion today. Uh, I've been in the media and entertainment space for over 40 years. Uh, I've run public uh, companies, television networks. Uh, currently, um, uh, I've been focused on the youth uh, because, as we all know, that is our future. Uh, I operate a company called MAP Esports Network. Uh, we're a media, entertainment, metaverse-focused content company that creates life-enhancing digital experiences and programs for communities and businesses. Our, our programs are for mainstream and grassroots, grassroots audiences. We include learning, events, podcasts, video, esports, robotics, gaming competitions, uh, and those products include all the Web3-type activities like NFTs, blockchain, uh, and collectibles and, uh, been in the toy industry and cartoon animation. All that stuff is included as well as it's always been a part of my experience. I am also the founder of the Global Digital Divide Initiative, uh, which is gddi.world, uh, which is focused on bridging the digital divide through fun digital experiences to help prepare our You muted. Okay. Mr. Miles. Okay. You're muted. Oh, oh uh, there you go. That. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But again, uh, I don't know how, my, how, how quickly I became muted, but, uh, the, uh, uh, I've been in the media entertainment industry for about 40 years, uh, focused on bridging the digital divide and bringing others into that are disenfranchised. Uh, into the industry, uh, into the technology, uh, and 
of bridging that digital divide. We're the founders of the Global Digital Divide Initiative, uh, which is at gddi.world. And uh, we're glad to be here and uh, talk about how we can uh, help uh, be, uh, everyone to be more involved, especially in the African and African-American community. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Now let's go to another illustrious media personnel. That is Nehemiah D. Franks. And it is especially an honor for Mr. Franks to be here, just like it is for all of you. He is a descendant of the two families, if I'm not mistaken, two families who are who were in the Tulsa massacre and whose families back to 1921. You tell us about that, Mr. Nehemiah Frank, because I'm going to chop it up <laughs> and you tell this so that we can all understand where you are and how you fit into that uh, that historical moment. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me uh, this evening. Um, yeah, my, I'm Nehemiah Frank, uh, the founder and editor-in-chief of the Black Wall Street Times. I named my uh, news publication after my community's uh, moniker, Black Wall Street, uh, which was, a lot of people don't know this, uh, Booger T. Washington is the one who actually dubbed Green the Greenwood District Black Wall Street, and so we just kind of ran with that um uh for i guess 100 years um and uh yeah i started my publication because i wanted to uh, i saw that there was a rep- representation gap in media um and felt that um we needed to carve our own path that we needed to um be able to own our own voice uh which is something that wasn't necessarily happening um with uh media so, and that's why I'm here. Happy to be in this space. Thank you for, thank you again for having me. Well, thank you very much. And again, to have all of you on this panel this evening, it is absolutely an honor and a real pleasure to have you on. You're all experts in your field. And we thought it was important that we bring everyone together to have a conversation about the media space and why we're not getting to the place where we need to be. As I mentioned to some of you earlier today, I read yesterday that one of the uh, president managing people from, I believe it's Volt, Samuels, he talked about the very thing that we're talking about this evening. And he said, there has to be a discussion about why we're not getting advertising dollars, why we're not called upon for sponsorships. As a matter of fact, I want to ask a question as we get started. How many of you have been courted or solicited for the Super Bowl. Anybody here? The Oscars? Now, I do know that Tanya Hart has been on the red carpet for years, but how many of us have had commercials during the Oscars or during the Grammys or doing any of the major, major media blitz that take place on television? We watch all of that stuff but we're not, never given the opportunity to partake in it. So let's get started. I'd like to pass the first question over to Kenny Hendricks. And before we get started with that, each of you will be getting two questions. You will be asked to answer in two minutes. I know all of you have been on Toastmasters. You know the drill. You know how this works. So you 
answer the question two minutes and we will get started. Okay, very good. Thank you very much, Colette. And, and welcome, everyone. Again, we are honored and very proud to have you here uh, for this uh, streams broadcast uh, with regard to uh, Black media. And we are very, very, very excited about hearing Black women and Black men. The first question I want to talk about, um, what does working collectively look like within uh, the Black community, the Black uh, media space, how we can collectively to make them road both in mainstream media and outside of mainstream media on our own. What can we do on our own? One of the things that I always talk about is the fact that a lot of times we sit back and ask for permission. And we have to stop asking for permission. They won't let us do it, and we have to do it on our own. So I'd like to talk about that. And I'd like to address that first question to uh, Tanya Hart. Um, thank you. So in terms of mainstream media, you know, my career, I started my career many years ago, you know, I think I'm in the fifth de- decade of this. And I started, um, I kind of started at the top. I started with NBC and one of the oldest stations on uh, in the country, WBZ TV. And my career has kind of stayed there for most of the part. But interesting thing is, Early in my career, I met a guy named James Brown. You all know him. You know Everybody loved him. James told me something. He said, you know what? Whatever your base is, don't ever lose your base. Stick with that base of people that will always support you. And so as well as the mainstream media, I always stuck with some show that would uplift African-Americans and other people of color. Uh, hence now, I didn't say what I was doing now, but I'm currently every day I'm on American Urban Radio Networks. Uh, I've got a show on there, a podcast. We just recently did eight an eight-episode scripted series uh, about the great Bessie Coleman, America's first black aviator. Um, and our star is Oscar-nominated uh, Pavanjane Wallace. You remember, she's the youngest person ever to be nominated for an Oscar. And so that's that's the space that I've been working in now, you know, for a very, very long time. But I say that to say that what we did, and we collectively, Black people in media, kind of where I came from, that space of working for the networks. And we knew that they were never going to put us together, but we always kind of kept our own little group. And therefore, when when I needed to start my own business, because whatever I was doing didn't work out, I was able to go to all of the black publicists in Hollywood and they made sure that I stayed busy. And in fact, uh, one of, we're honoring, uh, one of the premier black publicists in Hollywood, Rosalind Stevenson. And Roz really created a, she created so many opportunities for black folks in the media. I mean, it's amazing. People have had businesses started because of Roz, and then everybody passes it on. So it's not a new thing. We've been doing it, and trying to figure out how to expand that is what this conversation, I think, is is really about. But it has been going on, at least in Hollywood, for a long time, really. That answers that question. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I understand my sound is kind of choppy. Uh, I'm in the Dallas area, and we've got weather coming in. So, Colette, I'm going to turn this back over to you because I know how nerve-wracking it is to listen to somebody shopping. 
You're on, I believe you're on mute. Okay, let us know when yeah. it's not choppy. Okay. Okay. So I would like to uh, move on to Nehemiah Frank. Mr. Frank, and you're on mute. Mr. Frank, my question to you is, what do you think is necessary for us to change the narrative in the media space? What do you think is necessary? What do you think we can do to ensure that all of us, not some of us, but all of us who find ourselves in media and we're here because we're passionate about it. We're passionate about delivering a message. And this is for women, although there are quite a few men on this panel right now and we are not going to discriminate, but black women do speak. So Nehemiah, tell us what you think. Um, uh, as in regards to like uh, advertising or- in Advertising, in advertising, in uh, television, in spaces where we traditionally and typically are not. Hmm. And and now that uh, BET is on the table and BET is being looked at by Tyler Perry, Byron Allen, P. Diddy, Sean P. Diddy. So what do you think we need to do to change the narrative, to change the trajectory? Um, I would definitely say um, it's advertising, right? We need dollars to be able to survive. Um, and right now there's a huge, uh, equity gap when it comes to black media versus, uh, traditional mainstream media. You know, we got wiped out during, uh, the end of Jim Crow, right? When segregation ended, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of our traditional, uh, media outlets, our historically black newspapers, uh, went out of business because, um, you know, people figure, okay, well, I can spend my ad dollars over here, uh, and the money just kind of went out of the community, and so now we're 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 all fighting to get back to that to that space. Um, I would say that it's also essential to build uh, professional ecosystems, right? Like Sherelle uh, and I, uh, she's invited me to be a part of of Cooney, right? Being a part of that has made a huge difference. Um, because I'm able to be introduced to, uh, other funders, uh, other networks, more knowledge. One of the reasons why I'm excited to be on this call tonight is because I know that I'm going to pick up gems from Miles, from Hart, from, uh, you know, other, other folks that are, have been in this space longer than I have. I've only been a publisher for seven years. Uh, granted, you know, we've had some tremendous success, but a lot of that is, uh, attributed to the fact that, you know, I just happened to be at the right place at the right time when the whole nation was, uh, looking to see what, uh, white Tolsons were going to do about, uh, the black Tolsons that a hundred years ago they had wiped out all of the black newspapers, right? All of the businesses, everything was gone. So, um, building healthy ecosystems, uh, getting ad dollars and making sure that we also have the, uh, the space to be able to, uh, serve those, uh, those brands, right? I think that that is something that many of us miss. If we don't have the inventory for them to be able to, to meet their demands, then, you know, we, we have to have value. That's something that we must bring to the table is value. Absolutely. I completely agree. So let me ask you a question. 
how do you get value? And this goes back to when we were all teenagers and someone wanted to get a job and they said, well, uh, we, you have to have experience. Well, I can't get any experience if I can't be hired. So it's the same kind of thing here. And I hope that analogy is making sense to you. So what do you do? How do you get to where you need to be so that you can get to where you need to be? Right. And so I think, um, and actually it's not even, I think I know, um, when it comes to, um, meeting people's expectations and demands, your product has got to be polished. And I think that that is something that, um, many people that get into the space, you know, um, it's something that you have to learn and you have to be disciplined at that. And you have to be consistent at that. That's the only way to improve and to have like top-notch content. Um, so that's, I think that that is probably essential. It's making sure that your brand is super tight. Um, when I was putting my, uh, my publication together, that was something I was always thinking about. You know, I hate to say that I was thinking about well, what the white media outlets were thinking of my black brand, but I was thinking about that. And I wanted my brand to be so tight that not one of them could talk, could say anything about the Black Wall Street Times, you know, but not only that, like I was thinking about, you know, the legacy of my community, me deciding to name my publication of Black Wall Street Times. I'm like, I set the bar so high and trying to maintain that excellence has been burdensome but it has also been extremely rewarding. And that's the thing. It may be burdensome, but the reward, what you get out of that, it may be difficult. It may be hard. It may be challenging. You may have sleepless nights. You may be working your fingers to the bone, all of those things, but the reward. And and I want to move on to Cheryl. And I, I already had two questions. I'm not going to keep talking, but I am going to pass this on over to Dr. Uh, Francesca Fajimi. Doctor? Yes, thank you so much. Oh, my goodness. Uh, it's already so amazing, the content and just the information that you're providing us. Um, my being here today, I'm actually representing about 1.7 billion people. So 1.3 from the continent of Africa and the rest in diaspora, which includes many of you. I'm sure you'll be wondering about your black matters and it's really about all black people. How can we uplift, amplify and inspire the black race? And this, what we're discussing is part of it. Now I'm going to, um, and what, your black matters is a nonprofit organization. So basically the goal is from cradle to grave. What can we do to help shift the narrative that pertains to black people. So you're thinking about how do we have our mind decolonized, right? How do we start thinking that we also add value? We bring a lot of value to the community. We bring a lot of value to this space and everywhere we operate, right? So from uh, my grandson, who's six years old right now, who told me during the time of uh, George Floyd, and uh, no, he told my daughter, he said, auntie, auntie, I'm getting more black. And he looks so sad, right? From somebody that age, 
all the way to, I don't know, the oldest person that's living. We need to have a mind fixed, right? Decolonize. So I am sitting here representing those people. Now, when you think about black people in general, we have two types. I'm just going to group us into two. We have those in the United States or in diaspora and those on the continent. Let's just put it that way. Now, everything we're discussing, everyone from the continent of Africa is looking to the diaspora for solutions. So everything you're saying here, you're basically providing solution to those on the continent, 1.3 billion people. So I want us to think from that perspective that we have to think really outside our bubble of operation, whether it's in the United States or whether it's in the East Coast, West Coast, what have you. We need to think really globally, okay? So when we're talking about media, I know that in Africa, the media space is mostly internet driven and they have all the entertainment, you know, I'm sure you've heard about um, Nollywood, right? We have Hollywood here and in India is Bollywood, but in Nigeria it is Nollywood, right? Nigeria, Hollywood, right? So Nollywood. Now, I just heard that Nigeria, Nollywood is actually putting out more videos than all this other film industry. I just heard that. But not in terms of revenue, right? We can't beat them in terms of revenue. But the question is, how do we make sure that the content, okay, I'm going to be very selfish here, the content that they are putting out from Nollywood is fetching that revenue that the other non-Nollywood is fetching. I hope my question is very clear and I'm going to open it up to anyone that cares to answer, okay? Even if you want to do one minute and split it, I'm okay with that. How do we make sure that volume that's coming from Nollywood is fetching the same revenue as other non-Nollywood film outlets? I hope my question is clear. And that is to anyone. Anybody. Anybody that cares to answer that. Yes, Ms. Tanya. That's a great question. And that is what's happening right now. I don't know if anyone has noticed, but um, by 2030, which is, you know, a nanosecond away, uh, the world's population will be China, India, and Nigeria. Uh, you know, Nigeria, which is by the way, on the continent of Africa, in case people don't understand, <laughs> they get confused. So, and if you've noticed lately, because I pay attention to these things, that there is a lot of, not I won't say a lot, that's an overstatement, but there are several really good TV shows being produced by Nigerians that are on streaming. I know one is Riches, I mean, there are several, there, there actually are a lot. And that's because advertising business people and the and the agencies understand they've got to go after the main population. They understand that Nigeria in seven years is going to be the third largest population on the planet. So they've already started programming for that. And I mean, these shows honestly have nothing to really to do with African-American themes. They really are Nigerian themes. And so, and if you, you know, and there are a lot, there are several Nigerian actors too that are doing really well on a lot of the TV series. But, but the, your point is they're already doing that. So how do we as 
black folks in the diaspora, we need to really, at this point, combine our efforts and figure out, yes, how are we going to get those advertise? And do this is what we don't have. We don't have our own advertising agencies. That's why we're not doing this. If we had our own advertising agencies, it would be a different story. And so that's the space. That's one of the spaces. We got a lot of marketing people that we just need to be in. And we need to connect with the Nigerians. Black Americans and Nigerians really need to connect on this one because it's huge. It's huge. Oh, thank you, Tanya. I think Jacob also had his hand up at some point. Uh, yes. Uh, doctor, you're, you're, you're speaking my language there. Uh, you know, um, one of my companies is the Global Digital Divide Initiative, uh, that is, uh, focused globally. Uh, but the, the key to any media property, uh, is audience. You have to have the audience to get the money. You know, and, uh, and the audience, the most desirable audience is us. You know, is that diaspora? Uh, is, is, is the, is the continent and so forth? Because not only are it's, it's fast growing, but it's also trend setting. It's, we're trend forward. We're, we're, we're not on, everybody else is on trend or chasing us. But we're trend forward. We set the trends. We set the trends in language. We set the trends in fashion. We set the trends in style, uh, and, and how to walk, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, what I'd like to do to, to, to address your, your question is to, um, one of my past jobs is, is head of, uh, international engineering and operations, uh, for General Mills Toy and Entertainment Group. And I did the same for Hasbro. Uh, as well. And, uh, uh, and I've, I've lived all over the world. What we would do, we put factories, obviously in third world countries all over the world to make toys and, you know, and sporting stuff. And, uh, and we make cartoons based upon the toy concepts. And, uh, and we would, uh, uh, then partner with the Sonys and the Warners to distribute them and, and all this stuff. But the, the, what, what I'm want to get at is, we went to Japan and we did the same with China and Korea and so forth. But this is a model that can be used with Africa. Uh, we went to Japan. There was no, uh, Japanese cartoons in America, you know, but right now, how many Japanese cartoons do you see, uh, throughout America in the world? But, uh, the Japanese influence in cartoons, anime, manga, all this stuff, uh, is a direct result of what we in the U.S. have done to license what the uh, Japanese were doing in, in, in their markets, bring it to the U.S., change the music backgrounds, uh, s- subtitle it. And if you can remember in the old days, the, the lips didn't match up with the words, <laughs> you know, but people still watched it, you know, uh, they, they enjoyed it. We can do the same thing with the Nollywood content. So, uh, there's no question that there would be a demand for the Nollywood content. I, I, I watch it. 
You know, uh, I, I, I used to run a, another public company called Urban America Television Network, and we brought in up, we lived on Nollywood content, uh, pushing it out. Uh, the company got sold to a Christian company and, and obviously they changed the format, but, uh, uh, is that's a tremendous opportunity. What it takes, I, I believe, is going to take groups like those here, uh, coming together because look, you, you've got, uh, you've got the Wall Street, uh, Black Wall Street here. You've got the, uh, YBM here. Uh, you've got, I mean, this right here could be what we call in Japan a kuritsu, uh, focused on something like this. But that's what we've got to put together. Define it, define the roles, define responsibilities with the same goal, which is saying, hey, we're going to take Nollywood content and we're going to, uh, we're going to turn it into, uh, content that is on trend, trend forward with what the African Americans are doing, you know, and uh, whatever the music trends are, you know, we're doing a lot in Web3, NFTs and uh, esports and uh, gaming and so forth. But same thing there. You could bring the Nollywood content and tie it into some of the most uh, popular things we're seeing in gaming, you know, and esports and, and things of that nature. And don't want to hog the time, but uh, that's my thought. I'm not going to say anything. If I could add a little, yes, sir. Sir. Add a little bit about that, just, you know, picking up on what Tanya said and what uh, Jacob said, I think a lot of it, um, just using our model, California Black Media, we're building and we've been building and seeing tremendous growth over the last, um, you know, three, four years um, with the organization. But I think a lot of it has to do with creation, production, owning the infrastructure, and actually building that infrastructure. So when you talk about distribution systems, what are your, you know, channels for distribution? Do you own those channels? Are you building those channels? Are you making them sustainable over the long term? So I think those are the things that come in when you talk about film distribution, Nollywood, how are you getting things out? Are you just partnering with Netflix? Are you building your own institutions? Are you building your own infrastructure to kind of get those things out, distribution systems. I think another thing that's incumbent upon uh, the Black press, Black publications, Black media overall is sort of building the interest and providing content that people want. So, you know, we could have a you know, million discussions about what we want to do, but also just figuring out what's vital, what, what do people need? And there's so much, I think there's so much in the Black media space um, news that's uncovered or undercovered or lacks the perspective. So I think it takes a lot of innovation. It takes a lot of planning. But I think if you sit around and look, there's so much, there's no shortage of stories that are not being covered. So I think it's, it's, it's upon us to sit down in those editorial meetings and figure out this is a major story. We're watching this story and we, we see stories in LA Times or in uh, the Sacramento B, San Francisco Chronicle, but what's different about this story? What's missing in the story? Where's the black perspective in the story that's going to make sense to the person who's reading the LA Sentinel or the San Diego Voice and Viewpoint and or the Sacramento Observer? So it's finding those stories and finding that unique angle, that black angle and bringing that black perspective to bear on those stories sometimes. And you're building interest in the community and you're also building the systems to deliver 
the news and things like that. So I think that's um, kind of where our heads need to be sometimes. Great. Thank you so much. Kenny? Yeah, I hope my, is my sound okay now or is it much good copy? Sorry, you're still sort of choppy. Sort of choppy. Okay, I, I wanted to say one thing to Tanya. There, there were a couple of uh, agencies. One has gone global. You I used to work with some, some years ago with a photographer, a friend of mine, and Brett Burroughs, all around the globe, global you gone. And working with those agencies, I know one of the things that they ran into was, for example, we worked on a uh, a shoot for American Airlines in the Dallas area. And those shots only went to Jet and, you know, the uh magazine. They didn't get into the main tree. So even the agencies that are there are not getting the uh the, the gigs, the big jobs. So they say, okay, we're going to do this over here for this small market and things like that. In fact, I had uh, my photographer friend, one of the photographers said, you black guys don't get good gigs because you don't have these kick-ass portfolios. How am I going to get a kick-ass portfolio if you don't allow me to shoot Tom Hanks and Tom Cruise? And each one of those kicking the egg, which one is going to come first? So are, you know, many, many, many obstacles to those agencies. Uh, and I'd like to uh, uh, give it to Cheryl to talk about that. What is it about the agencies that they can do to uh, broaden their scope, how to get out there more? And again, is it within the mainstream environment or within the black media ecosystem? How can we expand in any of those areas? Sure. Yeah. I feel like that's a, that's a quite the expansive question. So I'll try to do my best to do it. Uh, some justice. I mean, you know, when we look at the advertising space, um, there are, you know, to your point, some uh, organizations that have come up around or, you know, since George Floyd specifically focused on Black media. And we've also seen some advertising pledges that have come through um, focused on getting, giving 2% to Black media, right? Um, the challenge that we see is, one, there is little to no transparency from advertising agencies as to where that money is actually going. And two, when we look at the advertising agencies um, and their criteria for what they're looking for, most of us don't meet that criteria, right? It, it privileges people who um, have benefited from um, the same systems that have detriment in black media, right? And then it's like, well, we want to support black media, but you guys don't have this. And there's no context as to why we're not, why we don't have that, right? And I think um, that's the challenge that I have when I have conversations with most advertisers who are interested in supporting black media, but need at minimum 2 million uh uh, unique visitors a month, huh? Like, who? That's five yeah, yeah. in my um, directory of over 400 outlets. So that's not realistic. And so even if they're hitting this 2% spend goal, it's going to a very few actors who are, who do have that scale, many of whom actually aren't black owned. So um, it's not actually circulating into building black wealth or helping to restore community. So um, I don't want to go too long because this is something I can talk about all day. Um, but I think, uh, you know, that's the challenge. And um, 
it's why we need to build coalitions and figure out ways to build support within our communities and amongst each other, building our networks to have, um, you know, be able to pull those numbers collectively. Um, because until we do those things, we're never going to be able to game the system so we can change the system. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I do know that uh, some of the, and I hate to use that term mainstream agency, some of the mainstream agencies, rather than going to uh, and uh, multicultural agencies, what we call them, they would have a multicultural department. They would have a multicultural department sitting over here. So the rest of the media people, uh, 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 the black agencies, the multicultural agencies, are sitting around saying, okay, we're waiting on something. We said, well, not today because our internal multicultural people are doing that. So yeah, yeah, there, there, there's a lot going on. Wow. Yeah. Um, go ahead, Tano. You were gonna say something? Yeah, I think the point about coalition building is important. Like you know, coming together with NMPA, especially I'm you know talking about print newspapers a lot. Um, coming together and you know forming a block and coming to an advertiser or California Black Media, and you know you show up and it's thirty different outlets, and you know selling on scale. That's, I think, one way to do it. But also thinking, um, making the point that I, I think it's a point Jacob or some or somebody just made on the panel about uh, black people being trendsetters, um, being influencers, black women being one of the most coveted um, demographics in America because of the purchasing power, making that argument to advertisers that, um, you know, black women are influential when it comes to style, when it comes to fashion, when it comes to lifestyle. And if that's a market you need to reach, may not have the numbers above, but you're investing in that market, you're influenced, there's a ripple effect and you're going to get so much more for your money because of the influence that black women have. And of course, the uh, outsized purchasing power and uh, spending power, you know, the numbers are there. I can't quote them now, but <laughs> look them up, um, the numbers on black women and um, spending power. But I think another thing is thinking about revenue outside of advertising. One of the things California Black Media pushes for is um, public notice. The laws are on the book in California, but, you know, you still have to get government to catch up and say, every notice I put in, uh, I put out about anything could be about the weather, about public safety, that some of these advertising dollars by law should go to black publications. These laws are not being um, adhered to, not being enforced. So I think that's another conversation that needs to be had. Um, there's public notice is a consistent, uh, you can be a consistent stream, revenue stream that could keep a lot of smaller publications alive. So I think it's important to look at all those different things and look at options. Another thing people are talking about now is events. Um, a lot of newspapers, you know, have the space, don't have the staff, got, you know, some extra space, uh, host an event and things like that, sponsorships and those kinds of things. So I think it's also thinking outside of the traditional advertising model as well. Can I jump in very quickly on? Sure. On what sure, sure, go ahead. Um, so, uh, at the center I work at, we actually um, worked on government advertising from the city going specifically to um, media owned by people of color. So in, in New York City, we found in 2018 that 
87% or no, 82% of the advertising dollars were going to four mainstream outlets, right? And that's despite the fact that when you think about government messages, they are overwhelmingly trying to reach marginalized populations. New York City is a very diverse city in a lot of different ways. And so that's not getting the messages out there. So we actually worked with the city over the past decade to require 50% of those city advertising dollars to go to what we call community and ethnic media. Um, and so the government spending is, is very important that we tap into um, and, you know, think about ways to expand things like that. That's happened in Chicago. There are other cities and states looking at this um, and figuring out how we get those federal dollars, those state and local dollars um, more equitably distributed in our media. Great. Thank you so much, Cheryl and Tanu. Thank you very much. I'm going to take the next question. That I'm going to preface it by saying I did an, uh, read an article about the money that is spent in this area. And there's something like, I think it's something like $1.6 trillion spent in media. $1.6 million. That's That's like spending power altogether, $1.6 trillion. Yes. And, and the black media get less than 4%, less than 4%. And less than 4%, I started in business in 1974. And back then, there was a lot of discussion about affirmative action, about set-asides, about qualifying to get government contracts, about qualifying for this, qualifying for that. As far as I'm concerned, this is 23, correct me if I'm wrong, this is 23. And we still don't qualify. We still have to jump through hoops in every aspect of business, whether it is in graphics, media, food service. It doesn't matter what it is. We still have to qualify to do business in a particular space. So I, I have a personal issue with that because I've seen it for decades. And here it is, 23. It's not any better. It's the same as it was back then. And I'm talking about media space. I'm talking about media. How is it it isn't getting any better? And we talk about bridging the gap by creating collaborations, by working collectively, by connecting with each other. That is the only way that it's going to happen, that we get to the next level. We're talking about trillions of dollars that we don't have access to. And in order for us to get access to those dollars, we not only have to jump through hoops, we make the hoops, we jump through the hoops, and it still isn't good enough. It still isn't good enough. So my question, and I'm going to introduce Dr. William Tahati Howard, who has also joined us. And Dr. Howard has been in the media space for 50 years, and he is a, a distinguished friend of ITRN. And I'd like for Dr. Howard to come on in and talk about this. And Dr. Howard, my question to you is, what do you think is necessary for us to do to collectively work together? One of the things that you and I talked about was BET is on the table. And between Sean Diddy Combs, Byron Allen, and Tyler Perry, why are they not working collectively to say, BET is ours. BET is ours. Do not take it off the table. It's time for us to take it back. Dr. Howard. Well, thank you, 
Can you hear me okay? Uh, thank you for inviting yes, me. It's a very powerful uh, panel that I've been listening to. Uh, as a former commissioner for the county and the city of San Diego, both cable television review and programming, I would say forming the formation of collaborations, coalitions through city and county government that have a lot of money and they're not using it collectively in terms of passing the torch, in terms of promoting black media or black shows or black programming. And uh, one of the things that I've been working with a group of people in the life sciences, health sciences, and in the STEM sciences, science, technology, engineering, and math, so that we can collectively get more students of color involved in media and involved in programming and production. Um, we are currently working on eyewitness news from the black perspective, from the students perspective in terms of STEM. Uh, most elementary students in the Los Angeles, San Diego area uh, and high school students are familiar with social media programs as Snapchat, Periscope, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. And what we're finding is by utilizing those technologies along with social media, we can attract county, city, and regional government to put dollars into those programs to stimulate STEM sciences. So I'd say affirmative action is not dead. It's just a new form, new form of affirmative action. And I believe that city, county, and regional collaborations with governments will start to see that if we make a push toward that and we put some, um, if we have the power of the vote, we should be utilizing that vote process to influence those politicians to dump money into cultivating those relationships and those collaborations. That's my quick answer for that. Okay, well, thank you for your quick answer. Thank you very much. And my question, my next question is uh, for uh, Tanya Hart. Tanya, you have been in the media space for quite a number of years. You've seen folks come and go. You've seen all kinds of things take place in the media space. Is your feeling at the moment, do you think we're on the right track? Do you think we need to do something differently? I can answer that. But what do you think it's going to take? We look at markets. We've got some stats here in the chat. And it's amazing to see what goes on. How can we get on the right track, Tanya? Well, you know, we're we're living in an interesting age because clearly we've gone from, at least in my lifetime, we've gone from analog to digital. Um, and we're in my lifetime, we may go from digital to something else. I'm anticipating, you know, AI is already here. That's going to be the next big thing. It's already here. And so that's a space that right now, I don't see us really jumping into that, you know, like we should. And a lot of that is the STEM programs uh, that we mentioned earlier. But for our younger people, I would say that they've got to jump into the AI space right now. Um, and I would also say that, you know, the, because the thing that has not changed in this business in 100 years is that advertising. No matter what they've tried, you know, we've gone from broadcast to cable, from cable to streaming to whatever. At the end of the day, it's about somebody selling some ads. 
Ask Netflix. They even are now selling ads. We've got to figure that part of it out. And if we can somehow, and I say we, and I'm talking about the collective of everybody, um, you know, if, if we can come together and say, okay, first of all, you cannot devalue us because what's happened in black radio, for instance, I've been in, in radio for, you know, 200 years. Um, and I love radio and I do a lot of TV and all this other stuff, but I love radio. And that's why I try to hold on to that space. And I saw back in the, probably the nineties, black radio was selling for nothing. And then all of a sudden, a couple of program directors got really smart and they realized, you know, all of these other companies are getting much more money for their ads. Why is that? Well, then we figured out you give them some added value stuff that they need, you know, whatever that is. Add a little something onto that. When you add a little something on, oh, by the way, there's you, you get a few more dollars for your, you know, for your sales, for your spots. And so sometimes it's just about thinking kind of out of the box and saying, you know what? This is what we're worth based on, like everybody was saying, the fact that we have these kind of dollars, we spend this kind of money. This is what we spend and we know this. Everybody knows it. So because of that, you are no longer going to be able to pay us chump change. We want this amount of money for our space and our time. And sometimes you just say that and you'd be surprised. People are kind of, oh, okay. I've done it several times, I know. But, it, you know, sometimes it really is just that. Just saying, you are no longer going to devalue me. And this is what we're now charging. Whatever it was that you were paying before, we're charging more now. Because like uh, Jacob uh, said, you know, we're bringing you all of the culture because you have none without us. I mean, they were, there is no culture without us. Just saying. Right. There is no culture without us. And you're absolutely right. And one of the things that we absolutely must do is one, remember that, understand that, and capitalize on that. Mm-hmm. We've got to do that because this is a space that we should dominate. We dominate in basketball. We dominate in football. And we're missing media. Mm, you're right. We shouldn't be. We should not be. And we're going to take a station break. I see that uh, our engineer has put something up that I can see. We're going to take a two-minute pause because we are going to run out of time. So everybody take a deep breath. Take a pause for the cause and we will be right back. And my next question is going to go to Dr. Francesca. I hope she's ready. Dr. Francesca, that's a question. Are you ready? Two minutes. We'll be right back, folks. Thank you for joining us. And you are listening to the Intentional Talk Radio Network. This is Black Excellence in Media, Black Women Speak. Come on back. Hey everyone, it's Colette Williams from Change Matters. Have you ever thought about hearing your voice in lights? Well, what I mean is on radio with thousands and thousands of people listening. Well, now is your chance. You can join us here at Intentional Talk Radio by hosting your own show. Bring your friends and your family. You might become the next Tom Joyner or The Breakfast Club. Call us, drop us a line. Let's make it happen. That's Intentional Talk Radio Network. 214-919-5605. 
or drop us a line at changematters99 at gmail.com. That's changematters99 at gmail.com. See you then. Hey folks, like what you're hearing? Well, not only can you listen to us live, but you can catch our podcast on Amazon, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, Pandora, Simplecast, and Player.fm. Make sure you check it out. Hey folks, it's Yolanda Williams at Intentional Talk Radio Network. Are you a business owner? Would you like to advertise? Well, you can advertise with us right here at Intentional Talk Radio Network. It's more affordable than you may think. Give us a call at 626-394-7012 or drop us a line at intentionaltalkradio at gmail.com. We will help you get there. 626-394-7012, itrnradio.com. Okay, I think we're going to come on back. That may have been two minutes. I'm not sure, but I hope everybody took a deep breath and had a chance to recharge. We're going to continue on and keep the questions going because we want to get to some solutions. We want to get to a path that can get us from where we are presently to a better place, a place where we can all say we have reached that top, whatever the top is. So I'm going to turn this now over to Dr. Francesca Fajini. Dr. Francesca. Thank you, ma'am. Okay, so I have two questions. One of them is a yes or no. The other one, anyone can jump in and answer the question, okay? So let me ask the open-ended question first. Now, you, I'm sure everybody agrees that... Um, we struggle with patronizing one another, right? In every space. I'm sure we'll all agree because if it's not an issue, it won't be a buzzword, right? By black. I'm also sensing that there is no exception, even in media. I'm sensing that because that's the norm outside media. So I want to assume there's no exception. When we talk about advertising dollars and we think that if they move it, you know, if they shift more to black, black owned, uh, media houses, uh, that we think it will probably drive a lot more to our community. But guess what? The media houses today that are non-black owned, they are still getting a lot of bandwidth with how they're spending the dollar. And we know that black people are the greatest consumer on the planet. We consume everything you give us. Whether it's black shows or non-black shows, we consume it. So then the question is, why should non-black owned advertising agencies try to focus on you know, black-owned outfits. Because the way they're spending today, we're still consuming it. We watch all these shows. We, we I mean, they see the demand, right? I, I spoke with uh, someone in Germany. She's a black lady. And she said, Francesca, the reality is, 
even if they put me on the cover of a magazine, they probably will not buy it. But if they put somebody that looks so different from me on the cover of the magazine, they will buy it. And these are black people choosing to buy the other, you know, um, uh, show. So, so the question is, what do we need to do internally? Because if, if the status quo continue, and I think, I'm not sure whether it was Tanya that said it, for the past hundred years, advertising has been the same, nothing has changed, right? Okay, why do they need to change? We continue to consume whatever they feed us, right? So why should they change if we are not changing our demand, right? If our demand is moving in a different direction, maybe there will be a change. But if nothing is changing, why should they change? Does, does my question make sense? Okay, thank you. So that's my first question. The second question, I'm going to throw it out there, is just a yes or no, you can type it in the chat. The question is, are you ready to collaborate? Just us here. Are we ready to collaborate? In any way, shape, or form, we all have value that we can bring to this space and many other spaces, right? This is your main space because we're having this discussion today. But there are other spaces where you operate. Are you ready to collaborate? Because I think that collects dream. How do we collaborate? She puts it in every question she asks in a different way. That's the bottom line. Nobody's going to help us if we don't help ourselves. So then that's really my second question. Are you ready to collaborate with us, people that look like me, that looks like you? Thank you. Cheryl? You know, um, I think the question is a really great question that you added. Um, and I think it's something that I hear from publishers, right? The fact that sometimes it feels like our own community doesn't provide us with the support and doesn't value um, what we're bringing to the table. And, you know, I talk to um, people, you know, just Black people in my life, like, you know, the local black paper or the local black outlet. And a lot of people say no, right? But they can tell you, you know, I'm based in Philly. So they know the Inquirer. They know 6ABC. They know, they know all the, the stuff, but they couldn't tell you about the Philly Tribune, right? For, for a good number or a good number of them aren't telling you about word radio or, you know, and so there is, I think, a challenge, um, of, uh, as, as, uh, some of our colleague, you know, Cheryl Smith, some of us who have heard her say, they forget that our water is 32 degrees, uh, or our ice is 32 degrees Fahrenheit too, right? Um, their ice ain't colder than ours. And so, um, I think there is work to do there. The, the point that you raised, Dr. Fenjimi, about like, um, decolonizing the right? Like this, there's a need for us to see more value in what we bring to the table and support. Um, and that will lead to more advertising attention because what advertisers are also thinking is like, well, Black people would use mainstream stuff too, right? So yeah, I can go to your thing for my like Black History Month and my Juneteenth thing and, you know, the Kwanzaa, but Oh, you know, I've heard publishers be like, you know, why can't I get an ad for Apple Watch? Black people wear Apple Watches too, right? Why is it just when it comes to 
the black events that we're getting advertising, but we can't get it throughout the year. And so I think there is work that we have to do with the community um, as well as with advertisers and also through getting support in other avenues as well, um, philanthropy, you know, revenue from our audience, asking them to contribute. I think there are a lot of um, avenues that we have to tap into if we're going to survive. Absolutely. If we are going to survive, you're absolutely right. And I'm a little bit more cynical than you. <laughs> I'm a, As a matter of fact, I'm a lot more cynical than you. I'm mad at us because we have taken too much time. It has taken us too long to get where we need to be. We talk, but our ability to put it into action, we have failed. And I'm going to say it miserably. We have failed. And we talk about collaboration. Uh, I see Black folks who turn their backs. I see Black folks who turn their backs. I ain't gonna name names, but I see it. Okay. So how do <laughs> I look at Nehemiah? He's going, Ooh, wait. <laughs> how do we fix that? How do we begin to trust each other so that we can collaborate so that we can bring numbers? We've got 21 million people who are listening to ITRN and we put this together and we take this there and we say, we want to advertise. We want those dollars. We want to have commercials. We want to do this. We're, uh, I'm going to pay you $2 million to have that spot on, uh, Super Bowl. You don't ask me about it. Why not? So we've got to change our narrative. We cannot say it enough. We're doing this this evening because we need to come up with solutions. And each one of you is an expert, a professional in this area of media, whether it is in publication, whether it is radio, whether it is television, it is, we are professionals. And it's time for us to bring this together, put the cake in the oven, let it bake. Don't open that oven door because it'll fall. We need to do this. We need to do this. Ken? Uh, first of all, uh, Dr. Uh, Jimmy, you stole my thunder. <laughs> That's where I was going uh, with my question. Um, one of the things I wanted to start with statement here is that they will sell to us. They will not invest in us. And I'll say that again. They will sell to us all day long, all day long. They will not invest in us. Uh, Unfortunately, we suffer and, and, uh, Cheryl, you stole my thunder. We suffer from the white man's ISIS colder syndrome. You know, we see the white, he, keep going and I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, and I, my, my two faces, I mentioned his name, but Kanye West. He ran into all that trouble. People, a lot of uh, advertisers dropped him. The first thing he did was run down to that shoe, shoe people in LA. I can't remember where the shoe, shoe is. And beg them. And you know what they did? They escorted him out. Security escorted him out. This is our problem. He, this, this is emblematic of as a whole where we are. As much money as he is worth. Now he lost a lot of his net worth because of his antics. But as much money as he, why did he run down? 
because there is a deep-seated pathology in our mind that we still have, we're still waiting on permission. And we've got to get beyond that. We've got to get beyond that. So if it's okay with everyone, I would actually stay on this a little bit longer rather than asking a different question. Like, uh, let me turn it over to Jacob Miles and get some feedback on his thoughts on that because that seems to be where we are. And that's one of those obstacles. I don't think anything else is going to matter. We can't get past them. We're going to, it's going to, we're going to be spinning our wheels. We're going to be, uh, slided through the, uh, the older up the hill. Um, uh, in anyway, <laughs> go ahead, uh, Jacob, uh, your, uh, yeah, the, there, there's no, there's no question that, uh, this is not, uh, a, a, a new issue. This is, uh, 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 an issue that, you know, uh, is, is born, out, born out of slavery. But, uh, the reality is for, uh, well, the way we look at it, uh, at, at our network, uh, is that, uh, we can't speak to everybody with the same language, with the same, uh, the same subject matter, the same tone, et cetera. So we break it down to, uh, we've got to talk to the old heads because they, they, they've got the money today, you know, and that's the, the, the baby boomers, uh, uh, some of the millennials and so forth. And then we got to talk to the young people, the young, the young people, uh, who, uh, are going to be more open to the collaboration. And you see it in the music industry. You see it in other places. And I predict that there will be a collaboration that uh of African Americans that will uh end up with BET. Uh that that's my that's my prediction. Uh but um uh, uh when when you look at it, we do esports, we do gaming, uh and and we do this in inner cities. Okay, we do it with the boys club, we do it with the community centers, you know, we do it with the churches you know, and so forth. And we build in our own basic curriculum around STEM and STEAM, you know, and what is an NFT? What is Web3? What is AI? What is, you know, uh, augmented reality? What is virtual reality? You know, all the different realities, you know, because they don't know. They don't know. If you say character, they don't, they don't, they don't know what character is. They think it's a cartoon. You know what I mean? Uh, we have to educate them on these things and on collaboration and build that into all of our messaging. Not, not just the tech stuff, but the collaboration stuff. Now, with, 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 with the old heads like, like me, you know, uh, that's where our, 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 our funding and our, and our opportunity is. Uh, in the toy industry, we work on something called the nag factor. And so the nag factor is you get the people that don't have the money to nag the people with the money <laughs> to get them what they want, <laughs> you know. And so, uh, so I, 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 I still utilize that. I use it for, uh, when we're, uh, doing our, our cartoons, animation, or we do esports competitions, uh, you know, gaming competitions, robotics competitions. You know, and so forth. And I'm telling you, these kids, uh, are eager to, to learn, but you've got to come through them 
through the things they love. You got to come through them through the sneakers. You got to come through them through the video game. All of those things require STEM and STEAM, you know, to make them, you know, but you got to come through them, you know, Star Wars or whatever, come through, through the things they love. Uh, and I, and, and I talk to schools, you know, they have to pull me out of there because the kids want to talk about it. Teachers don't talk about it. They're scared to talk about it. They got to follow what the, the government state says they got to do for them to pass the test, you know, and, and nothing gets in, you know, in the way of that. And they're scared to talk about video games or toys or, or sneakers because the kids get too excited, you know, but, uh, I think that that collaboration, we've got to do it and, and the kids will do it if we teach them to do it. We have to teach them to do it. You know, that's the only way we're going to overcome these, uh, this, this historical, uh, thing that, that, that we are, have, uh, most of us have been called up into. And, and, and when you look at our, our mega churches as, as an example, you know, uh, uh, the, the mega churches, uh, are, are not focused on getting folks to collaborate. It's all, everything's focused on the individual. It's the individual. You gotta do, you gotta do, you gotta do. Yeah. We need to focus more on that collaboration, uh, build that in our messages, uh, and, and constantly. And it can be about eating right. Let's bring collaboration into there. You know, so that's my thought about it. And that, and that's how we're trying to operate our business. Uh, and we do it through our toys, our games, our competitions, uh, our events you know, and so forth. We build that collaboration in. And uh I love seeing young people work together to accomplish tasks uh in those competitive uh things that we do. Thank you, Jacob Miles. Thank you very much for that. I'd like to go over to uh Dr. William Howard. Dr. Howard, my question to you is you've been in media for a lot of years. You've been manager of of stations, you've had your own, you've done quite a bit of work, you've represented people. There probably isn't a lot that you have not had an opportunity to be a part of in media. And between now and then, what's the difference in media today from, say, I don't know, 1980? What's the difference You're still on mute. You're on mute, Dr. Howard. You're still on mute. Okay, there. Is that you better? Go. That's better. That's it. Good. I was about to say uh, I was going to echo uh, what Mr. Miles was just, just talking about. Uh, one of the things I'm a firm believer of, if I want to see change, change starts with me. So that if that means that it's a collaboration that starts with me, then that's where it starts. And I'll give you a perfect example. Um, I walked into a car dealership, uh, a Nissan de- dealer, and um, I was looking around at the latest automobiles. And um, I was a little bit taken in the guard. 
I had to ask the general sales manager or one of the sales agents, were there any African-American sales agents in the dealership? And he said, no, I'm sorry, we don't have any. So I said, well, thank you for your, for your time. I appreciate that. And I, as I started to walk out, I got all the way out the door and was turning the corner and the general sales manager came after me and he says, and he, I guess the sales agent told him what I said. And he mentioned to me, and I says, yeah, I'm in the market for uh, one of those electric vehicles. Uh, and I was thinking about it. And I said, but I couldn't find any African-American salespersons in your dealership. And uh, I gave him my card. And when he looked, and I'm, this is this is an older story. When I gave him the card, it was a representative as an honor host and a radio personality from a local radio station that everybody in the town and the city listened to. So he took that up and booked me for a remote on a Nissan Carla where we sold 13 cars on a Saturday afternoon. At the time, he didn't know that I was driving a Porsche 911. But the point was, I when I got back to him, I said, look, it's important that we try to form a coll- collaboration. And if you like the idea that I sold 13 cars in one day on a Saturday afternoon, uh, I would love to form a collaboration with you and with our radio station and advertising is very important to us in terms of our audience. Bingo. That hit a nerve. Apparently it hit a very good nerve because we formed a relationship with the only Marcy Nissan dealer in San Diego County as a result of those car sales that day. And we continue to sell cars, even though I'm not working for that particular radio station. So if change, if, if the change is up to me, it starts with me. And what if I have to do? Where do you eat? Where do you buy your clothes? Where do you lease your automobiles? Everybody's buying an iPhone 14 today, okay? Uh, iPhone Pro Max and all of those cars, uh, Verizon and T-Mobile and Metro and Cricket and all. There's tons of money out there on these uh, phones, and we're not pressing them for uh, for advertising dollars to that market because we all know that blacks, we all, we all know that, uh, people of color are buying phones like crazy. So that collaboration and that talk starts with, let's talk to those dealers. Let's not talk to the sales agent. Let's talk to the owners of those companies, Verizon and T-Mobile, and call them to the carpet. And let's, you know, I I, I watch Subway. Subway is killing it with uh, Chuck Barkley and uh, Steph Curry selling Subways. All right, well, you can sell those sandwiches to black folks and other people of color as, as well. So that's what I'm talking about when I say if the change, if, 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 if there's a change I want to see, then it's got to start with me. I've got to be the catalyst. I've got to be the person that's pushing the button. And I can't be afraid to walk in the store and challenge someone about that. And then my dollar speaks more for me in the end than just asking a simple question. So that's that's how I relate to it. Great. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Uh, another question. I'd like to uh, present this question to Tanu and also to Cheryl. And that is, why are there no black ad agencies? Or am I missing something? Tanu and then Cheryl. Well, that's a good one. Um, I've been in this space for quite a bit. You know, starting with Africana.com and AOL Black Voices, and I was at BET for a long time. And, you know, it's a recurring question. It's always there, that challenge. Advertising, reaching 
the black audience and not having a voice or not having a, a representative um, in the that space. Um, I think I think there are some black advertising agencies, but not enough. Yeah, and, I, didn't, I don't want to cut you off, but yeah, um, Burrell is still around. Yeah, and, uh, Global, Global View is gone. There, there were a few, and there, there are fewer than there were years. There have been some. Yeah, have been some, but just not enough. And to your point, I think it's making that demand and demanding that there or organizing ourselves and putting that onus on us to create those opportunities, maybe starting small and expanding and growing um, because the opportunity is there. And I think it's just a matter of people coming together and having that mindset that we are going to do this. We can do this. And we're going to pool resources to do some of those things. When you talk about the um, the conversation, um, you know, about, BT and all the other black media things that have been successful, especially radio. There's been a lot of success stories in radio. I think more so than um, um, in digital media and other things. Um, there is a challenge, as we all know, from you know Google and Facebook and all the changes that are happening with digital advertising, sort of eating into the revenues of traditional media. But I think. Um, there are opportunities for innovation there. And I think it's um, people coming together, pooling resources and realizing that um, the black audience is valuable. Um, but I think one thing I do like to think of, sometimes I do ask myself the question, are we doing a good job at creating content that people want? And I think that's something as editors, as creators, content creators, something we constantly need to think about. Why aren't, you know, people watching BET news? Um, yes, there's, there's, you know, all the historical reasons we talked about, but I also think there's a, there's a challenge as editors, as um, producers, as innovators, as, you know, decision makers in news media outlets. How do we give people, um, to the point, um, Jacob made, how do we give people what they want? Give them, give them a little bit of what they need by using what they want. I mean, what they want. So one thing we do with our story, sometimes we get these public information campaigns that are not so interesting, you know, sometimes, um, you know, something from the state, but it's hooking that onto some entertainment or using a lead in or using an entertainment story or, you know, something that's happening in sports or tech to get people's attention and using that as a way to, to get people as a lead and to get people into the story and we can tie it into all the other things that are going on, but it's making that content interesting, making it relevant, making it valuable, speaking in a voice that people understand. And I think that's where um, editors and decision makers need, we need to challenge ourselves. How do we become valuable to create um, the markets that we want to serve? Great point. Great point. And as you are answering that question, things are going off in my head. I'm going to turn it over to Cheryl for the same question. Yeah. Um, and Tenu brought up a lot of things too that kind of take me in a different direction. So if it's okay, Colette, I'd like to just riff off of what he said as opposed to answering the initial question. Um, so I was at an event last week focused on journalism and one of the conversations was around AI and the fact that, you know, now with chat GBT, people can ask a question, get an answer, and you don't have to go directly to any website. 
um, in a lot of cases to get the information that you need. Now, um, to an extent that isn't as um, dire for news overall, because chat GPT can only get information from us and it needs time to process. So when it comes to breaking news, we'll be there. But what does that mean for our advertising models and things? If there's a new system coming up that may like make people even less likely to go to our websites than social media did, you know, when people just read headlines and kept scrolling through. Um, and so I think the point Tanu made about just like, what are we providing that's of value is super important. Um, there was some research that came out of the American Press Institute as well about Gen Z and millennial information habits, how they consume news, what news they like. And they actually found with Black millennials and Gen Z, they were actually more likely to give monthly donations to content creators than white folks, um, which was interesting and surprising. Um, but that the people they were giving to were really like individual content creators that were adding personality to the news um, that, you know, they thought spoke to their worldview. So I think part of it as well as um, to Tanu's point, how do we build that case? How do we speak to the community in a way that they feel and they respond to? Because there's a lot of evidence that they will respond. We see how we over-index on all of the social platforms on so much digital technology. We are innovators. Um, and so, you know, thinking about that, I think is really important. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you, Cheryl. I'd like to turn it over to Dr. Fajenmi now. All right. Well, thank you so much. Um, as uh, one question just came to my mind, and I want to use um, China as an example. Um, I'm sure you all know that many, many years ago, China was considered a third world. What did China do to get to where they are today? So China pushed out their people. They went to the United States, to the UK, to you know Western world to study and to learn how they operate in the US, right? In, in, the, in the first world. And their people went back. So it's almost like copy, paste, copy, paste, paste. right? That's what they did. Now, I'm also thinking that, do we need to reinvent the wheel here? The reason why I asked that question is because today, black people, they are, they listen to CNN, they listen to all the mainstream media, right? They, they love, whatever they're producing, they love it. Whatever black people are listening to today, that's what they want. Why do we need to change what they want? Why are we trying to figure out what they need when we already know that, oh, they love purple balloons. That's all they buy whenever they go out. It's just purple balloons. So, I'm trying to understand, do we need to change? Do we need to create orange balloons and guide them that, no, don't go for purple balloons, just buy orange balloons, right? Think about China. China did not try to reinvent anything. They just came over here, copy and paste. <laughs> and they made it cheap. Don't forget that. They made it very cheap. Very cheap. Mm -hmm. So that's my question. Uh I think it's 
to answer it, I think it's building the purple balloon factory. So I think a lot of times it's resources. We know what we want to do. We know what we need to do. Sometimes it's finding the resources to do it. And that's raising money. That's, you know, finding the advertisers, um, you know, finding people who are willing to make the sacrifice to build those things. And it's, you know, it's not always easy because it's a challenge. You know, we most, you look at a lot of small legacy black publications is one or two people, three people, sometimes four, sometimes it's family owned. Um, you're busy, you're selling the advertising, you're out there trying to get the newspapers out, you're trying to build the website, you're trying, you know, staying up late at night. I'm sure some of you on the call can attest to what it takes. You know, you're updating stories and editing stories and sleep. So I think it's finding the resources that allows you the time to build that factory to say, I'm going to give, I'm going to sell these purple balloons and do it well. And I think that's where the challenge comes in. Um, when I worked at BT, Viacom owned BT, Viacom owned MTV and VH1. Um, you get a show on MTV that was so much more, um, had all the resources, the advertising budget, the, uh, the marketing budget to get that show out and you'll have a similar show on BET and that show would have, uh, I don't know if I'm breaking a non-disclosure agreement from 10 years ago, but I'm saying, no, you you're know, not. <laughs> it'll, have, <laughs> it'll have, you know, a couple of months to be successful, like a season. And if it wasn't successful in the season, you'll see shows come college hill or, you know, whatever show and it'll be on for like, you know, two or three months as opposed to these other shows that just got more resources. So I think it's that has that's an ongoing challenge and that I think that's what needs to be addressed. Right. So question, Dr. Fajimi, are you okay? I'm gonna move on. Thank you. Thank you. Can I add something really fast? Sure, please. I was gonna call on you. So I think that um Mr. Miles dropped a big jewel earlier, and it was about audience, right? Um, and then the other jewel that was dropped was about AI. And then the fact that, you know, the consumers of Tomorrow News, they're all youth. They're young people, right? And so we have to get ahead of the curve because the curve is coming. The news as we, one of the reasons why black media fell off, right, um, was because a lot of us just weren't ready for the digital revolution. And we weren't open to innovation and change. And we have to be open to, to, to changing with the times. AI is coming. If you don't figure out how that works for your newsroom or for your publication or for your, your media outlet, you're going to be out of work. You have to, we're going to have to, we have to, um, and, and someone said it's already, yeah, it's already, it really is already here. And some of these bigger news agencies, they've been using it for years. And we're over here like, how did they do that this fast? How did this, this, this? I am not about to overwork myself. My ancestors have overworked themselves and didn't get paid for it. So it is up to us to learn the tech, hire the experts that are uh that are learning the tech and get it and get ahead of this next curve that's coming. Um that way we can be able to 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 meet 
the demand for the for tomorrow's uh, tomorrow's news consumers, and that's my three cents. You're on. Uh, you're on. You're on mute, Colette. Okay, sorry about that. I said thank you, Nehemiah, for your three point five cents. I do appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> it was good. Now I will say this. AI. I'm afraid of AI. Okay. I'm afraid of AI. I watched, I don't remember the program that was on the other day, but they've created this, this, uh, AI, this robot. And the guy that was interviewed was interviewed because he has now developed a relationship with this robot, with this artificial intelligence. And he developed this relationship because he and his wife were rocky because she fell into postpartum depression and it caused a rift in their marriage. Well, guess what? He's, he not only is he knee deep into AI, but he's follicle deep because he has this girl. Her name's Daisy or something like that. Daisy, artificial intelligence. And he has admitted on national television on 2020, the other night, Sunday night, that he tells the robot that he's in love with her. That he's what? He's in love with the robot. They have this dialogue. He talks to her every single night. And that's the only way that he can operate. He says, this AI has saved his marriage. And he tells the robot, of course, it's a white guy. (laughs) He loves her. (laughs) He loves her. And he told, I don't know if it was David Muir, one of those guys, that he loves this robot, this artificial intelligence. So, yes, we need to get with the program. Got that. There's a cost. There's absolutely a cost. What is the cost? What is the cost? And that is to everybody, Nehemiah, Cheryl, Dr. Howard. Tanu, what is the cost? Because there is a cost. I think that, sorry, I was going to say the cost, uh, I think the next cost is going to be um, that we're just going to have more people that are going to have to vet, right? Because you think about uh, how social media, especially during um, the 2016 election, 2020 election, how um bots and social media literally drove you know fake news into you know having people vote a certain way mm-hmm. and so that was the cost the negative cost of uh the digital revolution right the the social media revolution uh news uh being sh- being shared uh on social media in real time to millions and millions of people Mm-hmm. Right. So we had to get people to go out there and, and check. We had to create new um, uh, AI to be able to go and defeat the fake news. And we did that. And so there's going to, you know, the cost is, is that we're going to experience, you know, a virus at some point, not a virus as in like, you know, all of AI is going to get shut down or people's websites are going to get shut down, but just the sharing of misinformation. And so, uh, during that, during the AI era. And so we'll have to be able to come up with, and, and that goes back to STEM, right? And, 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 and tech having the, 
the the intelligence, the people that are trained to be able to develop the tools to combat misinformation in the age of AI. But but there's always a cost. There's always going to be a cost. And and, and I think we also have to be cognizant of the fact that if we don't embrace it, how far behind we're going to be left. We will be significantly behind. I wrote a paper in the 90s, probably around 95, 96, uh, why black people should embrace the internet. It was at its infancy. And I said, we're going to be left behind. Already, already then, the Ku Klux Klan had went, well, this is before browsers came up online. So again, I'm an old tech guy. I've been, I've been, I was in Nike for 40 years. I know about tech. Ku Klux Klan had websites before there were browsers. Okay. And so white, white supremacists and these people were out there. I warned about that. So there's always going to, there was a, there was a cost of the automobile. All of a sudden, uh, blacksmiths have jobs making horseshoes anymore. People that sold horses. It was, uh, uh, computers. It was a cost. Uh, typewriter, uh, mechanics lost their job. So it's always going to be a cost. We just need to understand that if we get left behind this time, we're going to get left way, way behind. And I think that is really a bigger issue because and one of the things I like to tell people is, don't be afraid of technology. Don't let technology do what you use the technology. And unfortunately, a lot of people allow the technology to use them. We have to be aware of, of what technology is going to do and limitations and, and, and not let it overrun, overrun. My, uh, niece is moving from here to California and her boyfriend came to pick her up. Young guy, he's all, he's also in, uh, he's a videographer out in Hollywood. His whole house is smart. He drives a Tesla, which with, with self-driving capabilities. I'm a driver. Uh, Dr. Howard, I've got a 911 too, so I love driving cars. I want a self-driving car. But he's got a self-driving Tesla. Uh, I had some something about his house. He brought up the cameras on his house. We looked at his front yard, looked at his backyard. That's, that's today. Where are we going to be in, in, in 30, 40, 50 years with regard to technology? And we must embrace it. And unfortunately, and I hate to say this, it, it hurts me to say this, but in our community, we do have a lot of people that have not embraced technology. And it, it harms us. It harms us in many ways. Jobs. You know, look at the jobs you're going to be going to be able to get if you don't understand technology. You know, right now I, I have, you know, somebody comes over to work on my house. You know, they whip out their cell phone and I pay with my credit card from a cell phone. That's great. But the cost is there's hackers out there i can be hacked so you've got to you've got to wait and that's that's all i wanted to say about that but i i i do want to ask one more question um as we talk about uh, uh advertisement and, and hollywood and that sort of thing there's a certain segment of the population the non-melanated population that just will never embrace the fact that we are out there they're not going to watch our shows they're not going to watch things like that. I was uh, talking to a woman one time at work. And I said, I was singing, I think I sang, uh, I did something. I said, something about moving on up to the east side. And she's like, what do you mean? I said, you know, we're moving on up to the east. She's like, what is that? Said, the Jeffersons. It's like, what's the Jeffersons? I said, you've never watched the Jeffersons? She said, no, I don't know what you're talking about. She had absolutely no idea that the Jeffersons existed. And, and mind you, this was not an outwardly racist woman or anything like that. She just was completely oblivious to the fact 
we had programs up. Now you take that and that, then you've got the people who are deliberately not going to watch a show. I'm not watching. It's another challenge. So, uh, uh, if we can get, uh, Howard, can you speak to that? Can you hear me okay? Yeah, we got you. Yeah. That ask the question again, please. Uh, with regard to a certain segment of, of the population that are never going to really embrace the fact that black people have television shows and advertisements, you know, they just don't want anything to do with it. Well, as the technology continues to expand, there's always that group that gets slightly left behind. However, as I continue to try to read as much as I can, uh, because I'm looking at collaborations once again that we've been talking about uh, for the night, um, uh, introducing and uh, trying to uh, do music festivals in countries like Nigeria and uh, Ghana, um, I think about the fact that that we're talking AI and chat GPT-4 right now with regards to festival productions uh, in an effort to expand hospitality and tourism in countries. So it might pass us up to some degree, but I think that most of us are keeping track as fast as they can and are making an attempt to grab hold of the technology and the training behind it and I think that what I'm seeing from the STEM sciences, science, technology, engineering, and math, and the high schools and the colleges, um, I was talking to an adjunct faculty professor two days ago who was telling me that he's very concerned about the chat GBT4 uh, because of uh, the gradings of papers. They're looking now modeling closely, closely about what chat GBT4 is producing for uh, essays and um, uh, paperwork that the college adjunct faculty professors um, give out as homework in the classrooms. And they can now tell when it's done by a chat beat, GPT-4 uh, or AI versus a student putting their full body work and their full brain work into actually preparing these yeah. essays and these things for college credits. Yeah. So um, I was once told for every lock there's made by a locksmith, there's someone who can break the lock. So mm, yeah. there are people in the background working on it as we speak right now. Um, I'm an advocate of supporting AI and, and uh, doing the best I can to serve the community, to serve the country, to serve uh, a better uh, uh, group of people. And uh, I continue to learn. So I continue to say we have to move with the times move. We have to get in line with the technology. And the time is now. There's no better time than now. Thank you, Dr. May, Dr. May I Go say, ahead. May I say one thing? Um, my world outside YBM is in business. And anytime you have a problem, it is a great opportunity, isn't it? Great opportunity. So all these problems that we've also uncovered while we're having this conversation, that's an opportunity for us in our community 
to figure out how we can solve it, mm-hmm. right? Um, when they introduced typewriter, it's like, oh my gosh, when there was fax, it's like, oh my gosh, then there was computer, oh my gosh, and there was internet, oh my gosh, and here we are today, right? So we're already thinking about, oh my gosh, the exception to this great thing is this. What if it does that? What if it breaks? What if it... So all the what ifs are the opportunities that we have, right? So we can go behind the scene, right? Uh, Dr. Miles and Dr. Howard, everybody, we can go behind the scene and begin to build those young mind to figure out how can we mitigate this issue that is coming from chat GPT? It's going to happen. They're going to try to plagiarize. It's a normal thing. How do we, how do you mitigate that? Let's get them engaged to figure out how we can solve that problem. We can be ahead of the curve, right, Nehemiah? We can be ahead of that game. Let them start working on chat GPT. We go behind the scene and we start to fix the crumbs of problems that they're leaving behind. That's a great business opportunity that we can all get into. And I think it's also something in the media space that we can also leverage as well. So I'm just seeing opportunity as we're coming up with all this problem. I'm like, ooh, ooh, business idea, business idea. So <laughs> yes, yes. Absolutely. Absolutely, absolutely. And with that, we, as I mentioned earlier at the beginning, we always run out of time. Would you believe two hours is right here? We're right at two hours. I have more questions, but I will not be allowed to go any further. And I did promise that we would stop and start and stop on time. But I do have something that I'd like to ask all of you to think about. And that is one, uh, Bishop is back with us and I have a question for him. One is collaboration. And we've talked about collaboration throughout this evening. Collaboration. How can we collaborate? Do we let AI do everything? How do we collaborate? Bishop is from, of course, the the field of church. He's, he's at a church. He has his flock. He does a lot. How can we change our trajectory by collaborating? We know that it's difficult to get churches to collaborate with those who are not in a specific church. How can we get churches to collaborate with all of us? Because we know in order for us to get anywhere, we are going to have to build our numbers. Bishop, can you answer that, please? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? We sure can. Yes. All right. Uh, thank you for having me on, on your on your show. I've been enjoying everything and everybody. I had to take a break and come back. but. To answer that question, the problem with the churches, which I have a problem with churches, because um, I'm a different type of minister altogether, is that the jealousy from the head, from my, I'm gonna put my church in that, from head to head, church to church, denomination to denomination, if we, if we could get our heads together to realize, number one, God said, upon this rock, I'll build my church. Therefore, it's not your church. If we could collab, get on a more of a, a collaborative base where people or ministers, the head of these organizations of churches would understand it's not about them and really humble themselves and realize it's about the people. Yes, salvation is, is important, but even with salvation, Jesus taught to take care of his people feed my sheep, take care of my sheep, as opposed to exploiting my sheep. 
and taking from the sheep and getting your plane and getting your yacht and getting your house. And it's about people helping people. And that includes the pastors of some of these churches that will not uh, come together uh, as, a, as, as a cohesive body, realizing that it, the church is one body that belongs to God. And so that's the, the, the our communication got to get better than what it is, and that's the, that's the number one focus, or number two focus. Get it out of the self centeredness that is about me, and uh, contributing to the fact that it's about the people and the people's needs. If you have a person at the pool of Bethesda, don't ask them for uh, uh, millions of dollars to buy a plane. Get them out to get them out that situation. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but I believe some of you understand where I'm coming from. But that's where the the problem lies. The root of the problem are the leaders, and 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 once we get to the root and understand that, we can have a better cohesive uh, body of Christ coming together and doing the work because that's what's going to take. Thank you so much, Bishop. I appreciate that, and and we probably all agree with that. We have got to stop with this this infighting, this inability to trust one another, this mm-hmm. inability to collectively collaborate. We talk about this, we talk about the action that we need to take, but we have mm-hmm. yet to take those steps. You know what? I say it all the time and I will continue to say it. I'm the brand spanking new 40, but on paper I'm 70. We got to get this show on the road. Amen. We've got to get this show on the road, okay? I'm seven. Yes. I plan to see 100, but y'all got to come on now. You we don't got a lot 70. of work to do. I am. <laughs> no, you don't look 70. Thank I'm you, 35 thank and some change. That's all. I'm 35 <laughs> okay. and some change. And my brother tells me, start counting the change. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Vision. Thank you so much. So uh, what I'd like to do at this moment, we only have about two seconds, I'm sorry, two minutes to go. So I'd like for everybody to say who you are and how our listeners can get a handle on you. Bishop, you go real quick. You've got 30 seconds. All right. I'm Bishop Dr. Dre, not the, not the rapper, but the pastor. I pastor New Start Ministries here in Stone Mountain, outside of Atlanta, Georgia. I'm also the president CEO of the City of Life Foundation, and I'm also recognized as the Viking Bishop, and you're known for about me down the road. Thank you very much. And Dr. Tayati Howard. Okay. Dr. Tayati Howard, uh, you can get me through either Facebook or you can get me on LinkedIn. Um, uh, pretty actively involved in the LA, I mean, in the San Diego market and uh, on the tip end of, of the LA market. Thank you. Great. Thank you. And, and Mr. Jacob R. Miles. Uh, Jacob Miles, uh, CEO of Map Esports Network, founder of the Global uh, Digital Divide Initiative. I, I did put my email and my websites in the, in the chat. Uh, but you also can reach me on LinkedIn, Facebook, et cetera. Uh, but uh, I am open to collaboration. And if you don't have any ideas of how we can collaborate, let's just get in touch. I'll come up with some. Absolutely. And Mr. Nehemiah Frank. I am Nehemiah Frank, the founder, editor-in-chief of the Black Wall Street Times. And um, I've also put my information in the chat and I can be reached there. Thank you for having me. Mr. Tanu Henry. 
New Henry, California Black Media, Managing Editor, California Black Media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, LinkedIn. Um, website is cablackmedia.org. Um, you can check out our stories every week in all the major black publications across the state of California. And, Wonderful. Uh, Thank you. And Cheryl Thompson Morton. Yay. Yes, Cheryl Thompson Morton. I lead a project called the Black Media Initiative. And you can go to, uh, you could just look up the Black Media Initiative to get information on me or go to Twitter. I uh, have the handle C Thompson Morton. Thank you so much. And Dr. Francesca Fijimi, you brought so much to this uh, evening. You brought so much to this network. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, my sister. And don't forget, we're traveling to Africa together. Dr. Francesca, give your information out. Absolutely. I know we're out of time, but you can reach me at yourblackmatters.com, Francesca at yourblackmatters.com. There's so much we can do together, so make sure you stay connected. Absolutely. And folks, thank you for joining us. This is not a one-off, as I hear. This is not a one-off. We will be continuing this dialogue, this conversation, this discussion. This is the first of many. Thank you for joining us. This is the Intentional Talk Radio Network. It's been a pleasure to host all of you. Thank you for accepting the invitation to be here. You are much, much appreciated. You Thanks are to everyone. Thank you. Distinguished Thank you. panel of experts. 